0: Praise God! I have something to teach this week. Uh, I'm going to boldly ask: Who prayed for me last week? Hallelujah! I'm very grateful. I, I I didn't expect every hand to go up. It's it's just uh, it's a weird it's a weird thing to ask for. But. Um, God answered the prayers, and um, where I was seeking answers, he gave them, and so I just recognized that as an answer to prayer, and I thank everyone who prayed for me, and I praise God, and before I even start teaching, I just want to declare for all of us that we bear witness that there is no God but one. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The maker of heaven and earth. He continues to reveal how real he is. And I praise and thank him for that. That's, that's rocking today. it's because there's some, uh, there's some authority in this word today. So there needs to be the appropriate baseline to go behind it. Apparently. Um, all right. So, so here's, here's where, um, the Lord's bringing clarity for me. It's really in the form of a convergence of two tracks that were being run. Um, One prior to the spring holy days beginning and then the the one the spring holy days uh, revealed and where they may perhaps have seemed like two separate tracks. What the Lord is showing me is that they actually are very much related and even uh, converge at the area of my questions from last week so um i just again give him thanks and praise for the spirit of truth and um i just pray father that you would uh use this voice this vessel this mouthpiece to just declare your truth today nothing more and nothing less we ask in jesus name for exactly what you have for your saints at ncc this morning for your glory, for your purposes, and for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. All right, so 2 Peter chapter 1, this is going to kind of uh, be uh, a reminder, refresher of the, the things that we were discussing a, a couple of months ago regarding the divine nature. So if someone wouldn't mind, please, uh, reading this text out loud, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11.
1: life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. We pray for sanctification by this word. So this is um, the text that we were going through for a number of weeks regarding um, this promise that all who are authentically born again, marked by the blood of the true and blemished Lamb, sheep of God's pasture, that it is possible for us to partake in his divine nature. It's made possible by his divine power and specifically two promises promised to all who are authentically born again. And there's a list of things in in this text that um, I want to remind us become available as we walk in the divine nature. It says that we will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It says we will avoid short sightedness, blindness, and forgetting the point. Essentially, it says we will make by walking in the divine nature, we will make our election sure and we will never stumble. So those are just some incredible, um, reasons, Right, to pursue this promise to partake in the divine nature. Those are amazing gifts given to us. Certainty of our election, fruitfulness in our knowledge of Christ. Never stumbling, never doubting, never fearing, speaking you know, about the peace that was made mention of earlier today. This is these are all. What come as we walk in the divine nature, and so um, what what Peter teaches obviously is that um, the availability of the divine nature is by God's divine power and by his promises that are certainly to be received, but we have a very specific contribution to make of our own, and he and he lists this these contributions by saying, be diligent, in all diligence, add these things. The divine nature is available, but we must play our part. And our part comes in this list of things that we are to add, that we are to pursue, that we are to do, right? So the list, um, let's see if we remember these, starts with virtue, which is what? Moral excellence. Virtuous living is living moral excellence, living um, as God has prescribed, walking in his ways, obedience to his commandments. That's the foundation of the divine nature, is that we just walk as God walked. Christ. Right? So it makes sense that if that is the, if God gets to define what virtuous living is, what's the next thing we add? Knowledge. Knowledge. Right? Because God gets to define what virtuous living is. So we need to know what the word says. Right? Once we know what the word says, then what do we add? Why? Who, who's in control of this? We are entirely. There is no victims right? There is no complaining. It's entirely up to us. If we desire to partake in the divine nature, living morally, knowing what that is, and controlling ourselves is entirely up to us. Is that going to be easy? Absolutely not. Which gives way to the fourth thing that we add, which is what? Perseverance. Why? Because this is not easy. This is against our flesh nature. This is against the world in which we live. This is against almost every input in our life to live this way. So we must add perseverance. To perseverance we add what? And what is godliness? Isn't godliness just virtuous living? What is godliness? Piety towards God. Which is a $10 word that means what? Love. It's loving God. This is the the motivation line in this list. This is the source line in this list. Why do we do all of this? Because we love God, not for any other reason. Never to be right. Never to be self-righteous. Never to prove anybody wrong. Never because my spouse told me to. Never, never because all my friends are doing it. The only way to truly walk in the divine nature and have take hold of these things is to love the God of the Bible. And when you have the love of the God of the Bible and you are partaking in his divine nature, you are going to love the things the God of the Bible loves. Which reminds us of the sixth thing in this list, which is brotherly kindness. What's brotherly kindness? Loving the brethren. Compassion towards the saints. Walmart gift cards for everybody. We'll get to that. Okay, so if you remember as we were Studying this list, this took a couple of months, and we kind of got to brotherly kindness. And that basically led us into Passover. And so we put the divine nature in this list on hold as we moved into Nisan and approached Passover. So once again, we, uh, we recognized Christ by honoring passover and remembering his sacrifice as our sin offering the true unblemished lamb remember as we honor the appointed times god gives us understanding they are teaching tools amongst other things so the more we recognize passover the more we retell the story every time that we enjoy the feast we learn but we don't learn specifically about the holy days we learn about the things the holy days all point to which is the gospel the larger redemptive story of the God of the Bible who has a plan for all of creation. And for his plan to be rolled out, major, significant, singular events had to take place. Passover was the first. And so as prescribed, once we have our feast, the next day we leave Egypt. just like the story plays out. And we're reminded as we just follow that prescription, sticking with what's written, we're reminded of what Christ accomplished and what it means to be marked by his blood and how that blood breaks the chains of sin and bondage and oppression and how once we belong to him we have a open door out of Egypt. Praise God for that. And we have a this urgency to leave Egypt in haste and to never look back. And in the middle of that week of examination we get first fruits. And for, I think, most of us, the, the appointed time that the Spirit was really teaching us about this year. And we recognize the significance of Christ's resurrection, not as a singular resurrection. The uniqueness of his resurrection was its timing his in the middle of history, the rest at the end of history. How do, we, how do we remember that incredible truth? First fruits. First fruits of what? The end harvest. Such a beautiful, deeper understanding I've gained this year. I'm so grateful for it. So interesting, six or seven years down the road, how the scales just keep falling off and so now as we're as we're in this 50 50 days from first fruits to pentecost sunday to sunday perfect 50 every year i was struck with a question last week What's the significance and what's been made available by this first resurrection? I just kept feeling like there was this wonderful new aha, that there's, a, that there's huge significance to the truth that one was raised first and in the middle of history, promising the resurrection of the dead at the end of the age, but but his, his resurrection in the middle makes more available, makes something else available. And so we looked at these texts, Romans 6, Colossians 2, and Galatians 2. Each of those texts and many others refer to this resurrected life. You guys remember those? That everyone, that all who are buried with Christ in baptism are also made alive with Christ in resurrection, not just in the age to come, but here and now. That there's this resurrected life available here and now because one was raised in the middle. And so those to me seemed like they were Two tracks, both promising something that's available to us that is totally impossible and totally awesome. And that is the the divine nature and this resurrected life. Two impossible. Astounding, astonishing promises that are available to God's adopted. That are now converging for me. Divine nature and resurrected life. And the um, the convergence was not what I expected but it's um, timing once again is perfect. So check this out, we are, we are in the 50, right? We are, we are in the counting of 50. Pentecost is always gonna be on a Sunday because it's always 50 days from First Fruits. First Fruits is always on a Sunday because it's always the first first day after Passover. If all that went over your head, don't worry about it. Just follow me. All right? As soon as First Fruits is recognized as the first first day after Passover, we know exactly when Pentecost is. It's seven Sabbaths plus one, so it's always going to be on a Sunday. God's calendar is absolutely perfect. So we are within that 50 right now counting. The actual Sunday this year is about a month from now. It's on May 16th. Okay, so, um, so so think about this with me. The, uh, each of the appointed times in the original story point towards the larger redemptive story aspect that it correlated to. So Passover pointed to Christ. That's why Christ died on Nisan 14. First fruits pointed to the resurrection. Right? Everything, everything points to the larger thing. Everything, every time we recognize it and walk out the prescription, we get better understanding of the gospel mystery. Yeah. So 50 days after the original Passover, I'm sorry, after the original first fruits, what was going on and what was being given? The law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Okay. Why was that so significant? Well, because God was taking a group of generational slaves and he was giving them this invitation to be holy, a nation of priests set apart unto him, right? The only possible way for them to accept that invitation would be to have God literally write out word for word every aspect of life and, and teach it to them. So exactly 50 days after the first, first fruits, the law is given through Moses. And we know that that invitation to that original group ended in a train wreck. Why? because the law could not change the human heart and it could not redeem the human flesh or rescue us from our fallen flesh nature. So fast forward from there, 1,400 years, as I said, Christ dies on Passover the exact same day. He's raised on first fruits the exact same way. And exactly 50 days from the Sunday of the resurrection on the 50th day, the first day, we get Acts chapter 2. Alright, so let's read, let's read this real quick. Acts chapter 2. Uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1 first. Acts chapter 1, if someone wants to read please, verses 4 through 8. Okay, so here is Jesus, one of three, Um, there might have been more, but there were three primary teachings or instructions post-resurrection, all right? There was the giving of the Great Commission, there was the uh, reinstating of Peter on the shoreline, and there was this instruction to wait in Jerusalem until the promise is given, So think about this. Remember, the the holy days perfectly point towards and help us better understand the larger redemptive story. Fundamental to the larger redemptive story was God had to deal with fallen flesh and the broken human heart. So in the first account, in the first story, he he used the the instruction of killing an an unblemished lamb to mark your homes to be saved from an imminent death. He used the escape from Egypt to represent bondage being broken. And he used first fruits and Pentecost to essentially say a new way of living is available. All of those pointed towards the true moments within the larger redemptive story that changed everything. Christ dying on Passover as the true sin offering, Christ being raised on first fruits as the firstborn from amongst the dead, and the Spirit being given at Pentecost on the 50th day. So what is made available to us because of these events? The two tracks that we have been studying teach us Because of what's been done, God's divine nature is now available to us. Because of what's been done, this resurrected life, which is to say the life that we will live in the age to come. Remember, when Christ was raised as first fruits, he was raised in the glorified body that he will have in the age to come. One was raised in the middle of history. Everyone else will be raised in the end Right? Raised into the age to come where there will be no sin, no death, no crying, no pain. The old order of things has passed away. Behold, everything is being made new. So, that resurrected life, that perfect resurrected life, is available to us. That perfect divine nature is available to us all the time, forever in this age. Not likely. Only for moments only in moments as we are diligent to play our part and active in what the word teaches we must add. So the promises within the new covenant that make all of this available to us is a new heart and a new spirit right? New heart that we receive when we are authentically born again, a new spirit that we receive. We're going to read about here in Acts chapter 2. The two things that make the divine nature and the resurrected life available to us that make this possible. So Acts chapter 2, Someone please read for us verses one through four. Okay so we often read that text and we think the primary purpose of the spirit being given is so that we can walk in the gifts. Right? And the gifts are you know very much focused upon in the, in the church today. But but we know specifically why the spirit was given because Jesus told them to wait for the spirit to come so that they could do something. And what was that? Be a witness The spirit is given to be a witness. Okay, so here's the two tracks now converging. The divine nature ends with a category that we did not get to because Passover came. As we've been in the spring holy days, these are sort of the major elements that the Lord's been teaching us. Um, focusing primarily on Christ being first fruits, first fruits of the harvest, the end time harvest. These being the primary teachings of Jesus post-resurrection, focused on what? Love, the harvest, and being a faithful witness. Right? So to me, where these two things both converge is what? Anyone know what this last category was? Now, let me let me um, let me remind us of what's giving me so much excitement right now, of what is encouraging me so much right now. Because last Pentecost, which I know seems like a very long time ago, um, the Lord was preparing us to be in one accord on that day about what we were going to pray and ask to be powered from on high to be able to do. Because that's what Pentecost is about. We follow the prescription, by the way, which is to gather and have a holy convocation on Pentecost. Several years now, the Lord has essentially used the weeks leading up to it so that this congregation is in one accord to gather on that day and pray to be empowered. That's what the day is for, pray to be empowered. And last year when we gathered, several weeks leading up to it, there was a specific line of teaching on a very specific thing that we were gonna ask for. Anyone remember what it was? I know it was a long time ago. Listen to me, guys. This gives me so much encouragement because we prayed to be empowered to be faithful witnesses, specifically in times of suffering. Think about that. Did did any of us know what last year was going to be like? Did any of us know what was what was going to happen over the course of that year? Absolutely had no idea. So because we have an ear to the Lord and because we have a desire to walk in his ways and to keep his times, he he does his part. Which what was his part last year to prepare this congregation for a year of Suffering and to be faithful witnesses in the midst of that suffering. And I believe with my whole heart, and I can only speak for myself and for my family, we were empowered as a family, given power from on high to be faithful in the midst of a year of suffering. A hundred percent believe that. We were prepared. And we were graced and we were anointed and we were empowered to live this last year in a way that faithfully witnessed that the God of the Bible is real. So to me, that is very encouraging and very exciting that this is how real this all is. This is how real God is. This is how right his times are and his word is and his prescriptions are. So what, so what is he opening my eyes to? That, that these two converging lines have all been in place and timed perfectly so that this congregation can once again, for about a month, prepare for a time of coming together and praying in one accord to be empowered with the power from on high to do what in the coming year? Love. Love like we never have before. Love in a way that makes a faithful witness to the reality that divine nature and a resurrected life is available. It's not about being nicer. It's not about more Walmart cards, although they may be involved. It's actually about a very, very specific kind of love. An impossible kind of love. So I'm going to, I'm going to read us three more texts and then I'm going to be done because this is intended to unite this congregation in prayer for the next month. All right. Fundamentally or generally speaking, saints, we are going to pray at Pentecost to be empowered from on high to love in the coming year and to be a faithful witness that this is all real by how we love. So, so let, three texts that we're going to read regarding love, and one thing I'm just going to leave you with, one idea I'm going to leave you with. Uh, someone find John 13, 34 and 35, and someone else find John 15, 5 through 12. Uh, I'm sorry, 9 through 12. I'm gonna, I'll find the Matthew passage.
1: A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love
0: one another. How are we supposed to love? As Christ did. As Christ did. The Listen, day. Day. Listen to me. The, the, the love that wraps up this list of the divine nature, the love that incorporates the resurrected life and every teaching that he gave post-resurrection, it's a different kind of love. And it's specifically a love that is geared towards what? It's a specific kind of love that is geared towards harvest. The the love that we are being called to, saints, as we walk in the divine nature and live this resurrected life, it is a love that is based on harvest. And that's why Jesus said what? Miss Naomi?
1: By this, you allow me to know that you are my disciples if we have loved one to another.
0: Oh, next next passage, John 15, 9 through 12. I yes. you. There's only one way to love as Christ loved. You know how that is? Partaking the divine nature. There's only one way to love as Christ loved. Be raised with him in resurrection. A resurrection life that somehow, someway is available now because one was raised in the middle. A divine nature that somehow, someway is available now because one was raised in the middle a love that is impossible and yet somewhat available now because one was raised in the middle. All right, now here's the last thing that I feel like the Spirit was speaking to me this week, and I don't even have a full grasp of it, so I'm just going to start it, and I'm going to ask for more prayer. All right? And it's that specifically the love that we are going to be empowered to walk out as faithful witnesses praying for on Pentecost is a quote unquote offensive love. And, and, um, and I say offensive, not, not specifically meaning that it means to offend, but an offensive love meaning that it is um, not a defensive love. And it's, um, I, I, I read something this week, and I feel like the Spirit's been speaking to me about it all week. And it's basically that currently the church, and, and in particular, like, fleshy love, human love in the church is primarily defensive. And we, and we seek um, by our love to just not lose to the enemy, But what I feel like um, the Lord is showing me is that our love is intended to be offensive and actually take from the enemy. All right, so go with me to Matthew, Matthew 16. So Matthew 16. Uh, 15 through 20. Actually, I'll go, go to 13. When Jesus came to them in the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am the son of man? Oh, I'm sorry. Who do men say that I, the son of man am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Sinem Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Here's what I read this week and I think it's, I think this is specific and central to what we are to ask for. this is what I feel like the spirit was saying to me. The love that the current church is walking in has basically been like a gate around the church, been intended to protect the church, Uh, keep the enemy out. Because gates are what? Gates are defensive. Right? Gates protect. But in this text, it says the church, well, in this text, who has the gates? Who has the gates? The enemy does. Which means what? The enemy is the one trying to protect. And the church, Jesus says, those gates can't prevail against the church which means where the church is intended to walk in love and walk in authority, we overcome the gates that hell puts up in order to take the things that hell has stolen. Because this is a love and an empowerment for harvest. This is a love that is offensive against the enemy. It is an offense against the things the enemy is doing and the things the enemy has stolen and the people the enemy has blinded and the hurt the enemy has caused. And we are being empowered, saints, to love in such a way that we overcome those defenses and take what's meant for the kingdom and for God's glory. Hallelujah. And if you have kids, be here next week because that's the first place I feel like the the Lord is going to lead us. Okay? So here's your homework. Please pray for me again. Pray more for me that this understanding about the love that we are, it's our assignment for the coming year. Of that, I'm already certain. Last year's assignment was essentially given at Pentecost. You're going to be faithful witnesses in a year of suffering. And I praise God to the extent that any of us walked that assignment out and for whatever God accomplished by it. In this year, I have absolute clarity that our assignment is to love in an offensive way that takes from the enemy. Hallelujah. So pray for me for more clarity. Pray that the Spirit would continue to lead. And teach us how to love, a divine love, a resurrected love, an impossible love, a Jesus love, that the gates of hell cannot stand against. Amen. Father, we just pray that your word, that your seed today would take root in our hearts and bear much fruit. And we continue to ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God regarding this love that you are calling us to from now until Pentecost. We pray for the understanding to come, for the scales to continue to fall, for the spirit of truth to lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.